This episode of Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen is not intended as a substitute for seeing your own mental health provider. We are here to initiate conversations about sex. Let's keep the conversations going. You can find us on Twitter at TalkingSexPod or email us at TalkingSexPodcast at gmail.com. We also want to give special thanks to Nathan Diffie for our podcast cover art and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers. We are searchlights we can see in the dark. This week's spotlight, we're going to be talking about a couple different things. We are rockets pointed up at the stars. And I'm looking forward to this discussion. We are billions of beautiful hearts. Hello, this is Lynn Ponton of Lynn and Jen. And let's talk about sex. And we're doing another spotlight. And this particular spotlight today is on the ongoing election in Alabama. And uh, these are the two senatorial candidates, Doug Jones and Roy Moore. And we have some kind of information from in the trenches in Alabama. Remember, we record in California. But we're really interested, I think, in what this election says about our nation as a whole and the ongoing issues related to gender and specifically gender harassment. So how are you doing today, Janice, we await these results? I'm doing good. I'm a little nervous about the results, if I'm being honest, but I think that being able to talk about what's going on. And it's very cool. You were mentioning we have a little bit of a front row seat there with your friend who's who is there. And so I'm excited to share that experience as you shared with me. I think that is giving me a little bit of strength this morning. To further to add to that, um, I have a close friend who I've been friends with, I guess about 35 years plus, maybe 40, and Dr. Marlene Mills, and she is on site uh, really doing volunteer work in Alabama. So today she's driving voters to the voting booths, reports that there's a steady stream of voters. She herself is working for the Doug Jones campaign there being very concerned about some of the gender issues and other issues that are really going on there. She mentioned to me one woman that she met named Marveline, so similar to Marlene, and they're kind of our our bookends for women heroines today, women in the trenches. But she mentioned that Marveline was an African-American, kind of a, a neighborhood member, very entrenched and really developed as part of a a neighborhood in the South. And she uh, shared with Marlene that she was working hard to get all of the neighbors connected and get them out and voting. And Marlene described feeling very warmed and comforted by the neighborhood and the connections that this woman really has developed. So I think that's the kind of connections that really make the difference in an election where you know the neighbors You can make sure they all get out and vote, and uh, you can work together to really come to a very good conclusion. So whether or not Doug Jones wins uh, in this particular situation, you can really see in the model of uh, Marveline, you can see how a country can work to really elect a fair and just representative. 
Well, I think it's really a great example of how we can galvanize a movement by coming together, and that with one person being willing to take that lead, it makes a really big difference. And I think that's so important to recognize in this type of climate because we need people like that, and those people can be our neighbors or they can be us. They can be.、Uh, you know, I was sharing with you that Marlene had invited me to canvas Tracy, California neighborhood, and become politically active in that way. And I think this is a very important time now to get everyone out and get them active in voting movements and political movements. It's a really crucial and key time. One of the things I did not know about Roy Moore. That pertains to the issues we've been focusing on, which are sexual abuse and sexual harassment of women and children. Is that Roy Moore had been asked by several malls in Alabama or a mall to really not attend or go there because of concerns about his behavior toward adolescent girls. And again, I think,、uh, as I said, it's women like Marlene and Marveline that make our country a safer place. I really have concerns about the safety issues for individuals like Roy Moore and the、uh, activities that they engage in with respect to our children. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is such a big concern, and so I think that's what's been very disconcerting for a lot of people, myself included, is that the fact that he engages in these behaviors hasn't been enough to not consider him a candidate. So then, I think it becomes. Well, when you elect somebody, you are electing them to a position of greater power, and so how do we manage the fact that this is happening and keep our children safe? And it's very important that we pay attention to this because if he's elected, he moves to the Senate, and he's really in a position of power throughout the country. And if he's not able to take care of the children at home. It really makes a very big difference, you know. It adds on to the whole set of comments he's made about slavery, and、uh, Marlene shared with me that a lot of the voters were aghast at the comments that he made about slavery, and、uh, you know, return the volley with it's really how we connect as neighbors that makes us safe and makes us feel good. It's not some ancient and really. Disempowering, unhorrifying concept of slavery. So you know that in itself really points to a horrible time. And these are are two issues, you know, women and children, and black people that we've really seen disempowered during in the United States, and we really have to work to change that. Yeah, and it requires us all working together in order to do that. I mean, I think one of the big things that I've been discussing with friends and clients that is so hard to wrestle with is that it's really become a vote between just a Democrat and a Republican. And so, you know, even Trump is framing it in this way, where it's like we can't lose this seat to a Democrat, and it just becomes very problematic. It's a It's just a sort of tiny piece of seeing that whole picture in our nation going on—the divide between the Democrats and the Republicans—and it's really now getting to a place where it becomes: where does that line get drawn in terms of behavior and、yes. what's appropriate and what's、yes. what's overlooked? And are there different rules for Democrats and different rules for Republicans? 
You know, part of my soul searching during this period has taken us back to the period of Bill Clinton when he was president and the harassment and abuse allegations came out with respect to Monica Lewinsky. You know, I think there's really no question that these events did not take place. And I I have been rereading Philip Ross' novel, The Human Stain, which really dealt with abuse allegations of a college professor during the post-Clinton period. It's a very interesting book to reread if our listeners are interested in it because it points to the fact that abuse like this sheds a long-term arc. And it's really not just with the children and adolescents. It's with the whole culture if they're a politician. So we are facing and grappling really with the aftermath of this history of abuse in our government and uh, specifically Bill Clinton's abuse really left an arc in the Democratic Party. And though we sometimes, you and I, disagree with Pelosi's sharp stance on abuse and Franken and what happened with that, I think it's in that context really wanting to take a strong stance against this position that the Democratic Party made the decision to get rid of Franken. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you there. I think my opposition to it is not in the zero tolerance policy. I think we Mm -hmm. need to have a zero tolerance policy like everywhere for this type of behavior. But it's really in the way that they went about it. I think that because they were wanting to kind of correct for not doing something in the Bill Clinton era. I think it became very swift and he became the token. And in doing that, they maybe unintentionally, they set a standard where it doesn't, it doesn't matter the, the degree to which you're engaging in these behaviors or the type of behaviors. It all just becomes the same or treated the same. And that for me is the problematic part of it is that. The behaviors are problematic, but certainly, you know, cruising a mall for teens is much different than what Al Franken did. Exactly. Uh, And I think these things can be looked at differently. I would encourage our listeners to uh, look at the editorial by Zephyr Teachout, and I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. It's in the New York Times today, and it really deals with looking at Uh, how we should act in terms of harassment allegations. She actually agrees with our former podcast is there has to be, we talked about the S's that we need, you know, for really looking at and evaluating abuse and how important that was. And I'd refer our listeners back to the earlier podcast that deals with abuse. About sick, exactly, as we called it. But it's very important to have an organized strategy and evaluation of these allegations. It's important to suspend the abuser when this is going on. The investigation's really the second part. And then to come to conclusions and recommendations, part of the problem is these investigations go on indefinitely. There's only minimal consequences given. And uh, that process not only allows the abuse to continue, but is a really sad message, you know, for the women who have experienced it. Women don't want to come forward with that type of thing. They're targeted. It's a huge problem. But Zephyr Teachout's editorial 
really talks about an organized process such as the one we brought up in addressing the issue of both the the victims coming forward and also when you have abusers, you have to have treatment programs and things addressing their behavior. I think what I found about the article too, in addition to all the things you're talking about, which I absolutely agree are so powerful, I think what really stuck with me was sort of this throwaway line, but it was really about how we need to be able to tolerate ambivalence. And I think that's what makes it very hard is because maybe because of the cultural climate that we're going in and all these abuse allegations coming up, sexual harassment allegations coming up, and a lot of people that people used to hold in high regard kind of falling down. I think people are very quick to want to judge and to condemn. And I think that becomes problematic because we don't have all the information. And so it becomes very polarizing instead of it opening the discussion. It becomes, if you don't agree with me, you're wrong. And if you don't agree with me, I'm just not going to talk to you anymore. And that's super problematic. And by holding ambivalence for our listeners, really just to articulate it a bit more, you mean that we hold on to the question of they may have done it, they may not have done it. These are possible uh, investigative measures. These are possible consequences. And it really could have gone either way. You know, philosophy talks about a way of thinking that really is, is based on holding on, looking at conclusions, and really staying in that middle ground. And that is so important, I think, in this process we're talking about. It also makes you less anxious when you're in the middle of, and I think many of us are so anxious when we see these things coming forward and these accusations being made, that we want to jump to immediate conclusion and action rather than to think about it in a considered way. Well, it's funny you say that because I think I, unless I'm misunderstanding you, I think I actually see it differently where I think having that ambivalence is what makes people so anxious. And so (laughs) they quickly want to choose one side or the other because then it's sort of like, ah, okay, there's some solid ground. It's much harder to hold on to not knowing. I agree with you there. I think it's actually both that people feel very ambivalent, you know, when they're caught, but not everyone, not everyone. There are people that move immediately to judgment. They're out there. And we really face both groups. I think we're all wishing that we'd move to more measured ways of thinking and considering things, but it's not everybody out there. Well, I'd like to build on that too, because in my experience, A lot of that, I think, comes from a fear-based, maybe that's kind of what you're addressing, that fear-based anxiety. And I think that makes people more rigid and it, it moves away from what we're trying to do, especially with our podcast, which is stimulate dialogue and really open up a conversation. I think the conversation is one of the ways that people actually change and they evolve in terms of their own ways of thinking. Because you learn about other ideas, you listen to them, it stimulates your own ideas and you test them out in conversation. That's one of the things that's really missing in our government. There are not these conversations being, ta- you know, taking place. And so as a result, we're at a point of great polarization. 
I think what's so interesting, too, is we haven't really heard any, any Democrats come out and say we did not handle the Clinton situation correctly. So they're kind of moving forward with, you know, whatever it is that they're doing. But nobody's really taking responsibility and, and owning up to we didn't do that right last time. And this time we're trying to do it right. And I think that then leaves a very strange elephant in the room. It does. And it makes it hard to understand this action you know, with respect to Franken. But really, the action is, we haven't handled this well in the past. We now see, you know, the Republicans with many, many abusers still left in place. And we really have to think what would work best for our government. So, but they should outline that, that we learn from mistakes. We really learn how to do things differently. And there should be an open conversation about this. Right. And to take it out of that Democrat-Republican frame, it really is no matter who is harassing or who is engaging in abuse, there need to be systems in place and action does need to be taken. I'd like to bring us back for our closing and the end of the special podcast really to the election in Alabama. And again, uh, People are working together there to ensure that a representative who sees our country, you know, safely and is able to ensure safety will be elected. And they are heroes and heroines, and we are with them in spirit today. So thank them really for all their action. Yeah, I'm so grateful to them. And I think just to say that it's so important. It's so wonderful to see people really getting involved on a local level and coming together in community because that's really how we make a difference. Yeah. Check us out on Twitter at Talking Sex Pod. We also now have a Facebook page. It's called Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen. And the address is www.facebook.talkingsexpod.com. And also remember to subscribe to our podcast through SoundCloud or iTunes so you can stay connected and keep that conversation going. If you have any questions or suggestions or just want to chat with us, you can email us at info at talkingsexpodcast.com. And as always, thank you for listening. This is an exciting one for us. We're going to do just a quick little follow-up here. This is the morning after the Alabama Senate race, and we both found, obviously, that Doug Jones was voted to be the next senator. And I think it's very exciting for us. It is, because, uh, you know, a number of gender issues were really brought up by this race. First, the concerns about uh, the pedophilia in his history, his statements uh, about... Uh, uh, slavery, which pertained to black women, of course, and just a number of different things. And then seeing we've had some contact with women on the streets in uh, Alabama, particularly we talked about my friend Marlene yesterday uh, uh, and Marveline, who was a woman community organizer that she ran into a woman within the community, just how important the bonding and action of women working together is. Well, I think that's what's so exciting. So obviously the result is exciting, but looking at how it broke down, we really owe a huge gratitude to all the black men and women who came out and voted Democrat and voted for Doug Jones. Because when you look at the polling, it really shows that they were the ones who carried the vote over. And uh, voted even at higher rates than they had for Obama. 
actually. So it shows how important individuals coming out in this way for key issues is and really is hopefully about what will help shift our our government and uh, our people to really change and respect each other more. And what's so important is that grassroots movement and also being able to build on that is in this case, there was the hashtag woke vote. And the woman really, I think, was one of those, you know, present day pioneer women who was really trying to get that Black community out to vote. And I think what's so amazing is it's the highest turnout rate for a non-election year of that demographic. Yes. Well, yesterday, uh, when we before the election, when we were talking with Marlene Mills, who was there on on the on the ground, really doing the work, um, she was talking about this group of individuals and just how close their communities are, and when they vote, what a powerful thing it is. They can really make a difference. So uh, they and- they stand really as role models for all of us, Jen. And the work that they did, because the voter suppression, suppression of the black vote is very serious. I mean, they closed down all these DMVs in the black neighborhoods. They required people to have, you know, IDs in order to vote. And the hours in which they're allowed to vote, just the different things I've heard, that part is very disheartening. But I think what is so empowering is really hearing that people really came together. And despite all of this effort, they still pushed through. And we'd like to thank everyone today who really worked on that effort and really uh, how much it means to others, men and women, who really want to change things in our country and see things really in a more equitable way. And see that going door to door and making those neighborhood connections, it really does make a difference And starting those conversations starting those conversations. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, Lynn.